Well, welcome to Super Duperstitious, the comedy podcast about the science behind the spooky and strange. I'm still Jake, still haven't found Wyatt. I was going to meet him a couple weeks ago here in what you can probably hear is the Caribbean. I, I decided to leave straight from the beaches of, uh, of Dingle, straight here. You know, I, I don't know what to do now. I'm just walking along this long and lonesome beach, thinking about my lost bearded friend. Normally, this is a show where we talk about mysterious and unexplained things and try and examine them from a scientific perspective. If you're a first-time listener, that is still what I'm going to try and do, but it's just not the same alone. This is August, around the world. Um, Jake! What was that? Jake! Wyatt? Is that you? Oh my god, Wyatt! Is that you? <laughs> oh my gosh, It dude. is me! <laughs> How have you been? Where have you been? What? You good? You good? You look... How long has it been? Well, let's see. When did our last Because episode... I woke up here last Thursday. Oh, okay. But I honestly don't remember the flight or mm-hmm. I guess the cruise. Okay. Did we travel together? No, we did not. Hmm. We were talking on the phone. We were thanking some patrons. Uh. Customs got involved and some emergency protocols were engaged. Uh, and that was uh, the last I heard from you. Other than a couple of uh, sporadic texts here and there. Do you know? Do you know where the uh, NCAA device is? Oh, I got it right I here. And all supposed its, to have it. You've got it. All its duffel bags. Yeah. Do you know where I got that weird burn on my hand? No. That you can see. <laughs> this weird burn. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's probably bound to happen with the stuff that I told you to do. But it's it's fine. I wouldn't worry about it. Mm. I'm so glad you're here. It's been. Weird without you, man. It's, uh... Oh, man. I feel like it's been weird without the show. I, uh... <laughs> honestly, I'm trying to think of what even happened over the past however long it's been. Depending on when I release this, uh, between one and three weeks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that may be part of the uh, challenge I'm facing at the moment. But all I've got is a scrap of paper and then all of my show notes. And the scrap of paper says <laughs> Caribbean. I'm assuming the show notes say stuff about that, so that works out great. Hopefully. That's awesome. It jumped to mind as the place that we were, given all the uh, surf, turf, a.k.a. sand, and sunscreen being applied sounds that I'm hearing around <laughs> me at the moment. There is, I mean, there's a lot of people with a lot of concern about melanoma all around, it seems like. Good Those to be safe, I guess. Big old bottles of lotion, too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know they came in. I guess maybe like the, the Costco version? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's actually just cost C. I think they had a... <laughs> chop off uh, one of the letters to save even more. <laughs> well, it's, uh, let's see, because of just the scheduling of how things have gone and since you've been gone, it is now episode 167, which is an odd Ooh. number episode, which means that I go first? You do go first. Well, how about that? I have for us today one spooky and one mysterious segment. Those are at least two of the things we like to cover. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. So for my spooky portion, I've got a, just a little, you know, pre-dinner, I guess a pre-dinner mint, as it were. <laughs> An appetizer, I guess people would usually refer to you. As we know, we, you usually eat just a bunch of mints for appetizers at restaurants. <laughs> um, but this is a uh, tidbit on the... Gotta keep it clean. This is a tidbit on the Trinidadian cousin of the Duende, <laughs> the Dwen. All right. 
Uh, so the Dwen, have you ever heard of this first off? No, I haven't. I'm only familiar with the Duende. Well, there you go. This is uh, the spirit of an... It is a very similar, very similar vibe. Okay. But a fun one. Kicking around Trinidad and Tobago. Both of them? Both of them. I guess it's very good at swimming. Um, <laughs> or they are, collectively. This is the uh, spirit of an infant who died before it was baptized and oh. now wanders in the forest. I guess we could have all guessed that. And uh, its feet are said to be turned backwards. Ooh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Because of things I might oh. talk about later. Oh. Do you just a big Dwen? Yeah, I have a larger Dwen for mine. Also Dwen. <laughs> um, its head is covered with a large, wide-brimmed hat that obscures its largely featureless face. Kind of spooky. Um, and as you also probably guessed, Dwens roam the land in the pursuit of children <laughs> that are not yet baptized or christened to lure them away deep into the woods until they are lost forever. Uh, it's pretty much right there in the name. Uh, they charm the children when the moon is full and according to a site called aminoapps.com <laughs> have a mesmerizing whooping sound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the three dwens. Uh, a freebie pander style PSA for us all. To avoid having a Dwen call your children into the forest, it is said that you should never call your child's name in an open place, for the Dwens will then learn the name and your voice, and use both to lure your child away. Again, it must be said, forever. <laughs> um, as nefarious as luring a child away into the forest forever may sound, Dwens apparently never eat or harm anyone they're more like hardcore, short-statured pranksters. Hmm. So, what do we make of them, Jake? I was struggle to find any kind of first-person account that was not patently creepypasta. I was a child who got led into the woods by a duen. Uh Yeah, I don't know how that would go. It, it's, uh, it's funny how many similarities there are between a lot of different mythologies in different ways. The backwards feet thing, like I, I said, will come up later. And uh, it is interesting also just the effects of colonization on the Caribbean have been pretty evident, I think, in mm. both of our things today. So the idea of this only happening to unbaptized children certainly seems to be a more of a, a post-colonizing situation. Very good point. Um, yeah, it's essentially what I make of it as well, plus or minus the Christian kind of uh, flavoring. It does seem like a great method as well for keeping your younger kids close to home while avoiding certifiable, honest-to-goodness dangers in the forest as well. So Totally. Good old boogeyman. And now for the mysterious, which we can have as our main course. Uh-huh. Back in the 1930s, a shipwright and captain by the name of Reg Mitchell was living on the island of Bequay, spelled B-E-Q-I-A. Bakia? No, you want to say that. You do want to say that. But I'm wrong. But you're wrong. Okay. I'm glad I checked the pronunciation. Bequay is part of St. Vincent, and it is the largest island in the Grenadines. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, for some reason, Mr. Mitchell decided that he was going to design and build the largest sailing vessel the region had ever seen, called hmm. the Titanic. At the time, <laughs> Bequay was a center for whaling and boat construction, incidentally, Unless my eyes deceive me, folks are still allowed to take up to four humpback whales per year there. Wow. 
using traditional hunting methods. As I understand, a nearby island is um, the center for boating and whale construction. Is that correct? Yes. Cool. And they are also allowed to take up to four uh, mid-size fishing vessels per year uh, if they use traditional hunting methods. Perfect. Um, if you believe the legends, Mitchell was a hulking mountain of a man, by some accounts, seven feet tall. Damn. And people only grew to be about five feet back in the 1930s, so. <laughs> and he was known for his incredibly well-crafted boats. On this occasion, he set about the monumental task of constructing a colossal vessel that was 165 feet long. Damn. Weighed 175 tons and sported three impressive masts. It was named the Gloria Colita. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was the largest wooden sailing vessel the Caribbean had ever seen. A monumental display of shipbuilding ingenuity. In 1939, the Gloria Colita embarked on its maiden voyage, sailing a circuitous route from South America to Cuba to Mobile, Alabama. Um, Mitchell would ship rice to Cuba, pick up sugarcane, sell the sugarcane in Alabama, load up with lumber, and then return back to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, and on to South America. So, an arduous but profitable loop. And by all accounts, the crew was very good at what they did. That is until May of 1940. The Gloria Colita went about its usual route, loading rice in British Guiana, now just Guiana, and sugar in Havana as usual. They then made their way to Venezuela, which was not part of its usual routine. Mm -hmm. In Venezuela, Mitchell mysteriously fired his entire crew and gathered up a new one Mm -hmm. composed entirely of Spanish-speaking locals. The vessel then headed on to Mobile, where it loaded lumber uh, before departing for Cuba. So he was looking to name a new Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, Right. On their trip from Mobile to Cuba, that was that. Gloria Colita never arrived. Two weeks later... A U.S. Coast Guard plane spotted the Gloria Colita, clearly damaged, floating 150 miles uh, out from shore in the Mm. Gulf Stream. The ship's rigging and rudder were gone, and it was completely empty, save for, according to legend, the ship's lone dog. The Gloria Colita was towed back to Mobile to be sold for scrap, and in the years after, there was, of course, a ton of speculation as to what had happened to the crew. So, what happened to the men of the Gloria Colita. First, Jake, what do you think? Don't say Rogue Wave. Dog ate them all. The dog ate them all. The end. <laughs> um, some say it was a mutiny by the Spanish crew, who then floundered in the open water. Another suggests the Gloria Colita was yet another casualty of the Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> which is a stretch given the Gulf of Mexico is kind of sort of not exactly anywhere near that area. <laughs> uh, from here, it's open season. Was the crew captured by a German U-boat? Were they sucked into a portal? (laughs) Were they taken away by UFOs? I will say with some confidence, probably not. (laughs) Uh, I rather like the conventional explanation, which of course, now you may say it, a rogue wave. Dog eat them all. (laughs) Yes. Dog eats them all are open water (laughs) surface waves. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, rogue waves, open water surface waves that are... As the name suggests, unusually large, unpredictable, and appear suddenly. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially a uh, captain's nightmare. One of the best accepted explanations for how rogue waves form is in a kind of piling up of waves traveling at different speeds in open water. So as one wave joins the next, and the next after that, 
their collective energy creates but can become a truly behemoth occurrence. Mm-hmm. So rogue waves themselves were thought to be mythological phenomena, interestingly enough, until they were measured scientifically. Interesting. Yeah. The most famous of these is likely the so-called Dropner wave measured by the Dropner platform in the North Sea, uh, the Atlantic's Canadian cousin, as it were. Um, on January 1st, 1995, digital measurements indicated a maximum wave height of 25.6 meters. Damn. AKA 84 feet. That's a lot of water. Mm-hmm. That's just above the normal, like average height everywhere else. Uh, I believe there's slightly less there. I think it's something more like 61 feet over the average because yes, it is. They calculate from the, the like the, the trough to the crest. And they compare that to the sort of average wave height around. So it's not enough that it's just a big old wave. It has to be big old even by comparison to the other waves in the area. Otherwise, it's just a lot of big ass waves. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So the actual comparison height, I think, is something more like 61 feet, but a towering 61 feet over the average. That's a lot of water, as you said. It's quite a bit. Um, Unsurprisingly... Nothing fucks up a boat, big or small, quite like a rogue wave. Some believe the Gloria Colita was caught unaware by one such wave, perhaps as high as 100 feet, Whoa. Uh, which could have done the observed damage and, of course, swept the nine crew members overboard in but a moment. And the dog was at the helm. And the dog was fine. Uh, the dog created the wave. Uh, in their <laughs> spirit, here's a collection of what could justifiably be called very large waves, not even necessarily rogue waves, experienced by folks at sea in a YouTube link, um, upsettingly set to Little Ducks by Hans Zimmer from the motion picture <laughs> Crimson Tide, a movie I've never seen but assume has to do with racial tensions on a submarine. Hmm. It's kind of a long video, but uh, enjoy it, and while you do, I will listen to you describe what you're seeing and take another bite of my delicious... Now room temperature breathe. Story temperature about breathe. a magical place. That's part of the video. Oops, let me uh Wow. There's a big wave. There's a lot of watermark text. Oh, now there's people in the wave. And they're holding on to the boat real hard as they go. Oh my god. They went straight into that wave. Uh wow. It's a lot of uh splooshing around. There's another one coming over the... Oh, it's going all over the top of the ship. Wow. There's some towards the uh, back end of it, too, that are... Like, Should I jump ahead? Do those people survive? I think... Uh, let me go to this one. So we're looking from an... Uh, indoors on a ship. Uh, they get hit by the water, and they just cut there, I guess. Uh, wow. See, a lot of them, the, whoever's shooting with their... like I'm assuming their cell phone... Um, bails the moment the water hits because I'm guessing a lot is going on that they can't just keep shooting um, but then we actually see what happens so here's a little sailboat getting all oh completely flipped upside down my goodness that wasn't even a super big wave but like it shows how much power is in waves of even modest size and there's an oil rig getting uh, whacked by some wowda but all the way up to the actual platform wowzers and uh, here comes one more. See some multiple ships getting battered. Man, it just flips them over, no problem. I it's, would not enjoy yeah. that. This one, okay, going head on into it, and it, it like, does seem blows to be the way out the to do windows. It. Oh wow, it does. Yeah, 
Wow. That so, is rough. These are big old ships. Yes. And even they are laid to waste. It does seem like the way to go is uh, head on into it so they can't flip you, but then you are just like, it's just full impact and the water just... There's a, what do you think about, I mean, uh, a gallon of water weighs what, like eight pounds? I think that's about right. A, a liter of water is uh, a kilogram. So like it, it doesn't take a whole lot of water before you have a whole lot of weight. I once fucked my back up so hard um, trying to pull a 30-gallon trash can away from my apartment in Missouri because it, it was like just no one's trash can and people walking oh by on the street would just fill it up with trash. And then it got rained in and then the trash oh. was just rotting. So it was really gross. Oh. And I wanted to dump it out, but I couldn't do it. Right. It was right by the intake for the AC for the building. Oh. So I was trying to drag it to the back of the building to then drain it. And uh, yeah, it turns out 30 gallons uh, is a lot of weight. <laughs> Oh god, dude! Were you trying to like lift it? No, I'm just trying fashion? to pull it um, oh. by the handle. And because I was doing that, like with one arm, like behind me, pulling that, and I was walking forward, I just ended up twisting myself all to hell. And uh, as is usually usually the case for me, I uh, popped a couple ribs out of place. Which you popped um, a couple ribs out of place. It happens sometimes. It's really uncomfortable. It's not Jake. too hard to get them back in if you have help. But oh, it's just really unpleasant. How does this? How is? How many times have you done this? At least three. What is this? It's, yeah, I mean, your ribs are, they're joints, like where they attach to, the, to your oh. backbone and to your sternum. They move when you breathe, kind of like um, a bucket handle kind of pivots. Um, they all pivot that way when you breathe. So they are meant to be able to move around, but where they kind of attach to the um, the backbone in particular is where I had to kind of jump out of their little slot a little bit. And then it's just oh. super uncomfortable because you do anything. It's like, something's very wrong. When I breathe, oh, it feels wrong. And, my uh, God. So that a chiropractor so can fix it, no problem. But if you also, yeah, it uh, just takes like someone just kind of pushing along your back and just pops it right back in. Super, oh. super easy. And uh, yeah, that's a thing that can happen. But the Jake, point I'm, is that waves. I'm so sorry that that happened. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Uh, waves are big and can do a lot of damage. Yep, and that is the story of the Gloria Cleta. Was a big wave. The end. <laughs> the dog unfortunately did not get cell phone footage of the wave to show us how big it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was um, clenching its. <laughs> back, cell phones were about fifty pounds back then. Yeah. <laughs> the 1940s cell phones were yeah. just very cumbersome cool well yeah definitely um not surprised that there were so many theories about what it might have been especially because it just being anywhere in like generally tropical atlantic people are like oh bermuda triangle it's like no that's a very long way away from where right, this exactly. was uh there's a whole florida in between there yeah. and, and where they were are there any pictures of what the ship looked like when it was yes. in... Uh, yeah, I'd be um, curious to see how it looked when it was operational. It's basically on its maiden launch, and then once it was all jacked up. It's a big old boat. And, and here it is, is all jacked up. Yeah, it's not looking great. It uh, looks like it's pretty low in the water, too, and it surprising that it's still afloat. Uh, there's a dog in the crow's nest, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, very, I'm looking looking at this. I'm curious where the dog was able to like hide out and not fall in the water. That is part of the story, at least. So who's to say if it's truly true? True the true. I mean, hopefully you want to believe the dog's okay. That's isn't there a whole uh, website called like does the dog die dot com or something for like really people oh, wanting to watch like a movie, movie to know? Or something? Yeah, that's cute. Just to know like if something 
sad happens in it and it's like yeah probably <laughs> yeah it does <laughs> <laughs> well cool thank you for sharing this um combination of fun things we got like a, a creepy little little tidbit to begin with a nice uh baby appetizer uh, minty baby appetizer yeah and uh and which will actually dovetail pretty nicely with what i got coming on in a minute Ooh. here and then uh, a cool oceanic mystery it's been a hot minute since we have discussed ships <laughs> it's true last time i remember doing so we did do a bermuda triangle thing a little while back by request which i'm, I'm glad we did because we wouldn't have otherwise and it was cool and interesting uh and before that i remember doing something about like the uh orang madan i think it was called the uh, um ship in like a ghost ship in the uh kind mm, of singapore right. area mm-hmm. uh yeah mm-hmm. so yeah we gotta do we can do more ocean stuff ocean stuff's cool um yep <laughs> should we thank some patrons what do you think <laughs> i think we should would you like um, to do the honors of opening this bag hand me that there bag let me uh i see it's still in its travel case so yes. i'll get started on this uh outer layer of zippers mm-hmm. yeah i had to open it uh last episode with emma and i i didn't realize just how many zippers there really are it's it's very secure in there but there we go now the inner case with the keys okay and now the bag in which it's held <laughs> unfolded okay this is the oh my god i'm getting such a weird feeling looking at this thing right now but maybe I'll, I'll just intro it for you you can kind of adjust this is the for AAA device oh, okay i yep. can do it this is a uh, special device that we uh created or i'm not even sure i guess it appeared one day uh to help us do all sorts of things but we mostly use it to run the pander function which of course is the patron appreciation neural dive for evaluation of risk of course this is a service we provide to our patrons as a way of saying thanks and making sure that they are safe from any kind of ghouly ghosty spooky scary or otherwise uncomfortable yes out there in the wide <laughs> open world it is not the random function on cryptids.com exactly so we're going to go ahead and fire up this here arcane computer and i will plug these cords into the base of our skulls allowing us to access the dark web mm. <laughs> <laughs> there it's all plugged in let's uh go ahead and activate the mind link and let us first focus in on Charon Dracaris of somewhere in Queensland. I don't remember exactly where, but uh, I'm not going to blow up your spot anyway. Look out for Upsweep. Upsweep is, of course, we know this. It is the sound detected by Noah since they started recording audio in the Pacific, most active in spring and fall. It originates from 54 degrees south, 140 degrees west. Wyatt, we did talk about this once, I think, a while ago. Do you remember when that was? Was this on the Bloops episode or whatever? Yes, this episode Sounds like strange or something like or this. Something. Yeah, our very first audio only. Audio. Yeah. It's, it's a podcast. It's all audio only. <laughs> the first one where we focused only on audio phenomena. Yes, yes. This is Upsweep. So, that was up sweet. Yep, so try watch out for that. That's what you got to watch out for. I I don't know if playing it for you was the wrong thing to do if just hearing the sound at all is danger to you. Just in case, let's see. I'll jump ahead. It's clear. nine and a half minutes long. Yeah, get a good sweep. Let's jump ahead. Oh. 
So yeah, you know, deep you know sea what? sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid that noise. I uh-huh. guess we've exposed you to it. Uh, kind of voiding our contract with you to protect you and keep you safe from that sound hopefully the important thing is we have shown you what to be on the lookout for so now you know what sound it is you need to avoid hopefully it we played a small enough amount if it's a nine and a half minute clip hopefully we didn't i mean also i would say the recording of the sound is not the same as the actual sound oh yeah the raw getting hit with that while you're at 54 degrees south 140 degrees (laughs) west uh, exactly in In the the spring or fall yeah you will now know in the moments before obliteration. That's right. This <laughs> is upsweep. <laughs> I heard about that one time, and you're welcome. And thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Very, thank very, you very much. We kind really and appreciate helpful. it. Next, we're going to focus in on Richard, Richard Houston. Houston. Richard, keep an eye yeah, out, look for out for. Of now are you? Oh God! Mm, there's enough Ab- vowels that we get confused. Up now are you? Up now are you? Up now are you? Sure. It's a r- the Russian analog of Bigfoot slash Sasquatch. Bigfoot slash Sasquatch, commonly linked to the Almas, uh, said around the lands around the Caucasus mountain range. So I think this might also. I mean, this may just be Almasti renamed uh mm-hmm. something easier to say than up now are you you're gonna want to look out for your standard squatchy features big body reddish black hair low brow high cheekbones again wild wild disposition and this would be specifically uh, around the central Siberian plateau. Yeah, so remote woodlands and glaciers, areas that are a little bit hard to access in the first place and therefore uh, should be easy to avoid if you find yourself in Russia in general. Um, there, here's a sightings map. It seems to be f- uh, from some kind of 16-bit computer game or something. I think this is the uh, level you get to if you uh, beat Ski Free. <laughs> I think you unlock this map if you uh, perform yes. well enough. Yes, you get past the abominable snowman, you get to uh, deal with Almam Abnawayu, um, who, if yeah. this map is to scale, is very, very big. <laughs> yeah. Here he's standing on top of some mountains, but yeah, generally just in the central Siberian plateau. At the place this is like avoid. a map of pure desperation, because I feel this would never help me actually know exactly where to look out for. <laughs> These yes. creatures, it's just generally in the area of the Mongolian mountains. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the good news is, these have not been seen since 2009, uh-huh. and the first sighting was traditional folklore, so you may be in good standing. But those videos we have shared before of Almasti um, do show that there's still chances out there. Might be something to worry, up, uh, worry for, but... I will say, even as a, uh, you know, ex- Sasquatch enthusiast. <laughs> Which we still need to unpack in a future Those episode. Those are some of the most compelling m- minutes of footage I've ever seen. Very, no, I, I, as someone who was always a skeptic, I agree. Very, very interesting and cool, and so different from your usual Sasquatch footage that it it really makes it more compelling. Concerningly, not unlike the uh, carving that was featured on the... Uh, Gen- honestly, yeah. So, something to, <laughs> something to keep in mind there, Richard. And yes. A, a one... Silver line to all this is that uh, based on the area you're supposed to watch out for, but the actual thing within that area you need to avoid, it seems as though you are probably completely safe from the Mongolian death worm. 
So that's uh, that's some good news. Death's in the name. Um, and generally, yes. Thank you. Thank you very much for your support. We Patreon. deeply, deeply appreciate it. Um, if you yourself would like your name added to this list of rarefied patrons, it's very easy. Join at any one of our awesome three tiers, and uh, we will shortly be reading the creature you must be on the lookout for following the pander function. For as little as five dollars a month, you can have that calculated. You can join our Discord community. You can listen to monthly outtakes that I curate from all the prior episodes of the previous month. And uh, you also get weekly episodes, roughly weekly, whenever Wyatt is corporeal enough to be able to record them. We do them. Corporeal enough. All of that for just five bucks. Above that, you also get merch discounts, stickers, exclusive stickers, great things to be had. And it supports us, and we really appreciate it. So do consider it. Thank you all so much. That's all. Back to your segment. Say what? Okay, so let's unplug this thing. I also forgot to mention, oh, the, gl- I forgot to mention the glass. Did you want to? Talk- you want to mention the glass? I'm feeling really comfy with it. In to be honest, I don't know why. Yeah, I think we should probably unplug this. All right. All right. Here we go. It's unplugged. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the face to go with that. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I will uh, now pivot over to my stuff, which, um, if I remember correctly, is yours. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, my primary source today is Artistico RD, which is, in their words, quote, a community created to help advance the art of the Dominican Republic and improve public access using curated programming and archive development with the help of the Dominican art community. Very cool. They said, for over a century, stories have been passed down of a creature that lurks within the shadows of the wooded uh, mountainous regions of the Dominican Republic. A feral woman with long, dark hair and backwards feet. What? Preys on the lonely farmer while he harvests the cacao or the would-be adventurer in search of new roots. Hmm. Young boys and girls are warned against venturing out into the woods alone with stories of this ravenous creature that feeds on the flesh and souls of men. Wow. So another boogeyman. Boogie woman, uh, I guess. Boogeyman. Boogie woman, yeah. Those that survive have described a stillness in the area as if birds, insects, and land animals have been frightened away. Hmm. Followed by soft whispers and howls that flowed with a gentle breeze and echoed through the canopies. The calling draws you in from all around until the creature finally reveals itself. A fair maiden with a quote-unquote harmony in all its muscles and limbs. Ooh. Uh, she, she toit. <laughs> exactly. Large, dark, and enchanting almond-shaped eyes. Hair black as midnight but with, a luster, but with a luster that glows with the moonlight. Thick and long and draped on her body to ankle length. Uh, this is the legend of La Ciguapa, hmm. a creature of Dominican folklore that today is still told the bed- at the bedside of many children. Such is its popularity that many, especially in the rural areas of the country, still claim the, trail- claim the tale as true. Hmm. The most revered and terrifying of the Ciguapa storylines describes a demon which lives in deep caves and lures lonely men with her beauty and sensuality, ensnaring the victim in a hypnotic stare and leading them back to her dwelling where she consumes them to the bare bones or traps them forever for her carnal pleasures. Ooh. So it's a real gamble which one of those you're going to get. Door number two, please. <laughs> but it's also a story that describes a timid creature that quickly disappears if it senses people about. A lonely girl that sleeps in the treetops and feeds on fruits, birds, fish, and other small animals. 
Wait, that's an alternate? That's an alternate version of this, yes. Aww. It's a creature that is said to be a descendant of a small uh, of a race of small people that lived within secluded mountains long before the first indigenous people crossed over into the greater Antilles. Hmm. This is the story that first introduced the legend of Siguapas in the Dominican Republic in a novel by Francisco Garidi, first published in 1866. Wow. So a lot like some of the general cryptid stories we get in North America nowadays, there is a mm. supposed uh, there is supposedly a pre-European connection to the area with this being. So you hear that with a lot of mm. different creatures in the woods. Oh, well, the local Native American people say this particular thing in their mm-hmm. story, so that must be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, this particular origin suggests that the Siguapa somehow even predates the first indigenous people in the area. So it's like even wow. more like tightly tied to the land mm. than a lot of these stories tend to say, which is kind of kind of uh, unique, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, should be noted that some sources have claimed the Siguapa as a legend that has been passed on since the time of the Taino, indigenous people of Kiskeya. But according to sociologist Janetta Candelario, quote, the Siguapa is not a legend of Taino origins that predates Spanish colonization of the island. This would consequently make Garidi's sto- a short story the first introduction of the character into Dominican folklore. Hmm. So that's a horse of a very different color. Mm-hmm. Francisco Javier Angulo Garidi, who lived from 1816 to 1884, was a poet, novelist, essayist, and playwright. That's why I think he's being any of this is being covered on this particular arts website is to really gotcha. kind of talk kind about of this thing. Up. Yeah. Uh, he was it's educated cool. at the Royal College of San Francisco in Cuba, where he lived from a young age in the years 1822 to 1853. And he founded a newspaper called La Prensa in 1836. In 1843, he published his first collection of poems, Ensayos Poeticos. He returned to his native Santo Domingo in 1853, moving back to La Habana one year later, where he published his novel La Fantasma de Igüe in 1857. Hmm. Garidi once again returned home and settled in Santiago de los Caballeros in 1860, where he launched another local newspaper, and in 1866 published several works, among them La Ciguapa. This is the aforementioned short story or novella, depending on who you ask, that the story seems to come from. Hmm. In La Siguapa, Garidi narrates the title character as follows. Quote, it is said that since before the discovery of this island, there exists a race whose residence has always been the heart of these mountains. But it is preserved in all its purity, sleeping in the crown of cedars and feeding on river fish, birds and fruit. Hmm. The Siguapa, which is the name by which it is known, is a creature that only rises a rod in height. Just to interrupt his uh, description, uh, many stories of Lissiwapo describe her as being fairly small compared to your average human, so mm. you know, below average height. I want to be more specific with this translation, so when I saw that it was a rod, I wanted to look that up, so I did a quick Google search, and a rod is 16 and a half feet, or a little over 5 meters. Oh. Greedy <laughs> continues. There's an ex- I, I, it must have been a different unit back then, but... um. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> There is an exact harmony in all her muscles and limbs, a wonderful beauty in her face, and an agility in her movements so full of spontaneity and grace that she leaves the one who sees her absorbed. She has bronze skin, black and slanted eyes, and soft, luscious, and abundant hair that rolls down her back to to the very calf of her legs. Siwapa has no other language than the howl and runs like a hare through the mountains or <laughs> leaps like a bird through the branches of the trees as soon as it discovers another being than its race because she is extremely shy and harmless at the same time. In general, she's attributed uh, a sensitivity without example and it is added that having captured it, sometimes through open traps in the forest, she's been seen to die within a few hours from the pain, drowned in her own crying, <laughs> but, without exhaling, but without exhaling a single complaint, hmm. let alone revealing indignation. End quote. 
Wow. So in Garidi's short story, a young couple had gone down to the river to fetch some water and were spotted by a male Siguapa. Three days after the encounter, the girl that had witnessed the Siguapa dies. Whoa. So already breaking with his own definition of a Siguapa as a harmless female entity. Uh, and here we have a male with slow acting death vision. Too handsome. <laughs> In this story, the Siwapa is not a flesh eating demon that can hypnotize its victim. It's a shy creature that gets consumed by jealousy whenever he slash she encounters a person of the opposite sex. Hmm. This jealousy creates a connection, male Siwapa with woman, female Siwapa with man, mm-hmm. that later leads to the death of the two connected beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, her jealousy ends with death. This is a quote again. When it is this female Siwapa that surprises such the male lover, uh, the male lover dies at the same time as the Siwapa. When it is a male Siwapa, the female lover dies, as did my poor Marcelina. Oh. That is the basic scenario of Garidi's short story. A very different telling from what today is a story of a frightening creature with backwards feet. Hmm. Uh, and although the backwards-facing feet is considered the Siwapa's most defining feature, Garidi never describes his character this way in his original short story. So the backwards feet of Siguapa is an adapted feature which has a long history in ghost stories told in other parts of the world. I decided to kind of do a little bit of a dive into this. Um, in mm. Hindu mythology, the Boots, which is B-H-O-O-T-S, uh, is a male, and Chirel, female, are ghosts which can take on human form and can only be recognized by their backwards-facing feet. Hmm. Uh, in many other myths throughout the world, ghost-like characters and forest-dwelling creatures have at times been described with odd features such as backwards feet, rotating heads, or some other odd physical anomaly mm-hmm. features which would usually reveal the ghost or creature as non-human. I think it's kind of fun how so many different cultures have stories whose protagonists only discover a ghost's or monster's true nature from looking at their footprints. Yeah, um, that's true. So we, we covered that with the little dirts a few, a few weeks that's ago. That's right. That's um, right. And from episode two ago, which is way, way back, uh, I, I, am I correct in remembering that the Mopinguari had backwards feet as well? The Mopinguari had backwards feet as well, which in that case could be attributed to, if I'm not mistaken, kind of like an oral memory of giant um, sloth, sloth, yes. ground sloths, which essentially are walking on their knuckles, uh-huh. but um, would leave an impression in the soil that would appear to be a backwards foot. Very, very interesting. Um, and I also don't remember, have we covered the Curupira of Brazilian folklore? I don't think we have. I don't have. think so. Sorry to look into this particular feature, uh, the, the backwards foot thing, for just slightly more detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realize I will be falling into a whole backwards-footed rabbit hole. Hmm. So I think I will actually save that phenomenon for a whole segment of its own one of these I days. Think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. very cool. Uh, for now, to say in mythology, would yeah, be a there, good one. that could be a neat one. Yeah, for now, yeah. I'll just I'll just say that it's something that pops up basically everywhere in the world, and that there's also a being in the mountains of India and Pakistan called hmm. the Pichal Peri that sounds almost identical to the Siguapa in like most ways. Wow. But yeah, back to said Siguapa, the practice of borrowing elements from old tales to implement into new stories is very common in literature. When we compare the storylines told today with Scaridi's original, we can come to the conclusion that the modern Siguapa story has adapted many elements from other folktales, including nymphs, elves, ghosts, witches, and the succubus. Hmm. Stories of the succubus, a female demon that takes human form and seduces men, can be found in variations throughout the world. A completely unintentional connection to my story from a few weeks ago. Hmm. Uh, I didn't realize that's what I was getting into when I found this thing. I was like, oh, I'm just covering succubus stuff, I guess. <laughs> One origin of the succubus legend is traced back to the second alphabet of Ben Sirach and the story of Lilith, Adam's first wife. Hmm. So Lilith, unlike Eve, was created from the earth just like Adam. But unlike Adam and Eve, 
Adam and Lilith were more comparable to modern couples. Lilith viewed herself as an equal to Adam and demanded equal treatment. Uh, quote from uh, some bit of uh, like the this is a quote from the story of Lilith, the alphabet of Ben Sirah, question number five, verses twenty-three A through B. Hmm. Uh, quote, she said, I will not lie below. And he said, I will not lie beneath you, but only on top for you are fit only to be in the bottom position while I am to be in the superior one. Lilith <laughs> responded, we are equal to each other. And in as much as we are both created from the earth, the story ends with her becoming a demon that causes sickness to male infants for eight days after their birth. The story oh, eventually boy. evolves into uh, a vengeful spirit that hunts and kills lonely men. And, you know, if that doesn't just sum up all of human history, I don't know what does. Yeah, for real, though. Dude wants things his way. Woman just wants equality. And boom, she's forever the purest of evil. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And this is neither here nor there. But Adam was really that insistent on never deviating from just plain missionary all the time. Come on, man. Yeah. (laughs) Have a little fun, dude. Anyway, Lilith's tale shares a lot with the Siguapa, which evolved from a timid creature whose very nature creates a fatal link into a terrifying monster with a startling deformity that hunts and kills lonely men. So just kind of corruption over time into this weird Mm. thing. Kind Mm -hmm. of falls along with that like the suapa and succubus stories of vengeful female spirits and female creatures that kill lonely men have evolved into folk tales adapted in different variations based on the region hmm. so the sihuanaba uh, a demon that can change forms at will is a common story told throughout central and south american countries uh, like the suapa the sihuanaba is also known for its long hair and beauty the lonely men unlucky enough to encounter a sihuanaba are lured into following a girl that giggles while only showing her back. <laughs> when the Siwanaba finally turns around, she reveals her face to be either a skull or the head of a horse. I don't know if she then yells, Psyche! Or what specifically her endgame is, then it just says that's what happens when she turns around. I, I, the story seems to just end there. So I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> just cut, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, La Sayona is a quote-unquote vengeful, vengeful spirit of a woman that haunts men that have love affairs out of their marriages. Mm. Uh, another variation of La Sayona is La Llorona, which we've probably all heard of. Classic. This legend is also prevalent throughout North and South America, but is used to scare children that misbehave. Uh, the story of La Llorona likely evolved from the Lamia, a child-eating demon of Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. So these recurring similarities, such as vengeance, striking features, sexual nature, and only appearing when someone is alone, are common themes found in folklore around the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's no connection between this fact and the pattern of men around the world seeing women simultaneously as mere sex objects and also deeply and terrifyingly unknowable enigmas <laughs> that should be feared and hated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nothing there. It's just a coincidence. Yes. Uh, but continuing the article, like many of these folktales, there is some truth to the many most striking themes in the story of Lesiwapa. Garidi's character has many similarities to pygmy peoples of Africa and other regions, which are hmm. primarily found living close to jungles and wooded areas, and whose average height is usually less than 150 centimeters, or 4 foot 11. Hmm. Um, in regards to the backwards-facing feet, this can be a feature inspired by a very common condition named Talipes equinovarus, also, hmm. uh, also known as clubfoot, hmm. a condition in which a newborn's foot or feet appear to be rotated inward at the ankle, and in severe cases, the foot may look as if it's upside down. Hmm. Uh, so if left untreated, the feet can eventually flatten out and appear to fully rotate as if the person had been born with backwards-facing feet. Whoa. Inspiration for backwards feet could also come from the condition uh, genu recurvatum, a deformity in the knee joint, hmm. so that the knee bends backwards. In this deformity, excessive extension occurs in the tibiofemoral joint. Uh, genu recurvatum is also known, also called knee hyperextension and back knee. Ah, 
uh, back knee tour, I should specify. Mm-hmm. Um, for either <laughs> of these yeah, medical conditions, let's for now just accept that these may have provided enough imagination fuel for a variety of related myths, but mm-hmm. as there is a lot more to dig into with that topic and those conditions, I will, as I said, save that for a deeper dive in a future rep. I like that very much. It's funny, the uh, Dwen also along with backwards facing feet occasionally are described as having uh, backwards knees as well. Mm-hmm. So Creepy. Creepy. Uh, the article concludes in a very super duper stitious way, which I appreciate. Mm. Uh, this breakdown of the origin of this mythical character is not meant to lower the importance of this folktale in Dominican, uh, in Dominican culture. It is meant to inform the reader of the historical connection that Siguapa shares with other important myths from around the world. And regardless of your take on the legend of a feral woman with long hair and backwards feet, folklore <laughs> or true, this Guapa remains an important icon in Dominican culture. I love it. Yeah, these are very cool stories with a lot of power and helpful, you know, energy and elements that can still be, you know, extremely useful in their telling. Totally. It doesn't I mean, matter they- if they are... Uh, <laughs> proven by science it's right. the least important thing in some cases <laughs> like as we as i think both of our things not not the ship story of course but the um the dwen and this mm-hmm. story both make some mention of the idea of it being a story to scare children from going anywhere into the woods right um, or just or like just to make them think oh there's something scary out there so i gotta watch out because yeah i mean when you're in any kind of rural area the woods are an easy place to get lost if you're in a tropical area, there's a lot of different bugs and snakes and things that could be even more dangerous and mm-hmm. worth watching mm-hmm. out for. And so it's just as a safety measure, boogeymans are very effective. It's like an invisible fence for your kid. <laughs> yes. But without having to put a collar on them. Exactly. <laughs> and do the whole buried wire thing. It's very annoying. Mm-hmm. So very cool, Jake. Thank you so much for that. Um, yes. It's made me feel very thirsty for... <laughs> Some phantoms? Yes, for some phantoms. We couldn't end today's episode without mentioning the gnarliest brewery in Western Massachusetts now infamously incorporating cylinders, tubes, energy, expectation, and creative design and execution to create a liquid that can only be described as beer. That's right. <laughs> I'm talking about four phantoms. And I'm so glad you are because I've been flattering with that for a couple episodes now. Oh, no. I'm just like, I was like oh, oh, yeah, the stuff. Oh, it's, uh, it's great. It's good. Oh, Miss Wyatt. <laughs> you demoted it from great to good, Jake. Uh, how could you? Oh, no, we're going to get dropped from the sponsorship. Here are some forthcoming Four Phantoms features. Mm-hmm. Friday, September 2nd through Sunday, September 4th, Four Phantoms will be available for quaffing at the legendary RPM Fest mm-hmm. in Greenfield. This is an epic weekend of heavy musics. We're talking metal, thrash, rock, punk, doom, prog, death, psychedelic stoner, Add a word and say metal after it, and chances are <laughs> it's there. 50 bands on three stages, four phantoms, keeping you fresh and fueled. Check it out, rpmfest.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, if metal isn't your speed, you can also check out four phantoms on Saturday, September 17th from 3 to 6 p.m., also in Greenfield, for the Grateful Brew Fest at Hawks and Reed. Mm. It's going to be a lot of Grateful Dead covers, fun food, and merch. Uh, and of course, amazing fluids called beer created by four <laughs> phantoms. And uh, whether you attend these things or not, as ever, consider swinging by the four phantoms tavern in Greenfield, Mass to get a piece of the action. And that's that. Thank you, four phantoms. We love you guys very much. So, um, and we appreciate you. 
And I appreciate that you are back, Wyatt. I appreciate that you listeners have listened to the episode. You can help us even more by rating and reviewing. And even more importantly, just tell other people to listen to the show. Get your friends, get your fam, unless you don't like them. I'm just very, very thankful that we were able to complete together the final leg of August around Around the world. world. It's nice to say it with you. Uh, uh, it's nice to see you with you as well. And as much as I feel like I was trapped in some kind of uh, hyperdimensional nightmare uh, for the last who knows how long, I'm just happy to be back and I'm ready to rock and roll as much as my job and life <laughs> and occasional trips to the void dimension allow. Excellent. So depending on all those <laughs> things you just said, uh, we'll join you again sometime soon with more episodes. September We'll hopefully check in at some point, but who knows? <laughs> we may be spending a lot of that time gearing up for a pretty fun, exciting October. October, of Ooh. course, being, you know, spook month. Um, it's spook so month. Is that what we're calling it? Maybe we should find a new word. Month spook. Month spook. Shocktober. <laughs> uh, but so we, we'll hopefully check in at some point in September with some, some fun stuff. But uh, if you don't hear from us, just know that we are actively working on some cool, cool content for October, and uh, boy, would that be fun! You'll probably hear from us, though. I imagine. I mean, maybe not from White if he gets further away from his microphone. Eventually, you won't hear him at all. <laughs> That's much better. Uh, anyway, I got nothing else to say. This is important. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.